Hey everyone, my name is Helen and welcome to this podcast. This podcast will be made on behalf of the Houston Asian American Archive of Rice University. Our archive is dedicated to documenting the lived experiences of Houston's very own Asian Americans. I'm so excited for today's podcast because it's been a huge part of my life. Today we'll get to talk a little bit about the history of the Chinese churches in Houston, as well as the social, the political, and the ethnocultural layers that are hidden well within these churches. The first official Chinese church in Houston was Chinese Baptist Church, founded in 1953. CBC is located in West Houston, and it's still there today. It attracted members from all over Houston, since it was the only Chinese church back then. In 1975, a few members of CBC, who also happened to be students at the University of Houston, decided to form their own Chinese church that was more centrally located so they didn't have to make that 30 to 45 minute commute each way. This church is known as Houston Chinese Church, or HCC, and it's become the center of this Chinese church network that we're talking about today. It's also the church that my family and I have been attending ever since my brother was born and the place that inspired me to make this podcast. From elementary school to around high school, I was really just going through the motions, such as waking up early on Sunday mornings for service or leaving my Fridays open for youth group. I really didn't think about what I was doing, and it's quickly become a routine. But in the later years of high school, this is when I really started to think what the meaning of church is and the role it had for not only my spiritual identity, but my ethnocultural identity as well. The Chinese and Houston Chinese church became much more prominent and important to me. And today, I want to start my investigation into what it really means. So going back to this Chinese church network that I was mentioning earlier, HCC is really focused on the outreach aspect of Christianity, which has led them to plant multiple churches. In 1979, just four years after HCC was founded, they planted a church in southeast Houston, or um, near the NASA Johnson Space Center in Clear Lake. This church, as you would expect, is called Clear Lake Chinese Church. Then in 1991, they founded West Houston Chinese Church in West Houston. And through the years, they've planted and also helped establish many churches around Texas, such as in College Station, in Port Lavaca, Corpus Christi, and in Lubbock. They even have a church plant in Kazakhstan, which they did in 1997. Today, I'm joined by four amazing pastors that will help me pick away at the complexities of the Chinese church network in Houston. I'll be speaking with Pastor Justin Wong, who is the youth pastor at CBC, Pastor Jason Tarn, the lead English pastor of HCC, Pastor David Shu, who is the senior pastor at WHCC, and also Pastor Ted Law, who is the lead pastor at Access Church. Pastor Ted comes from a unique perspective in which his church, Access Church, is not technically part of the Chinese church network, but the planting and the formation of it was helped by WHCC. They also identify as a multicultural church. However, most of their congregants are Chinese American or Asian American. So altogether, we'll have a conversation and talk about the heterogeneity in the homogenous. In other words, identifying and really discussing the differences that exist in our ethnically homogenous churches to kind of clarify the idea of what a Chinese church is, if that's even possible. So the title of this podcast is, What is a Chinese Church? And I think that's a great way to start off this podcast. So I guess we're working a little backwards here. To kick us off, Justin, what do you think is a Chinese church? I think <laughs> it is it, it is Chinese in heritage, right? Um, Chinese, for the most part, in identity like the people identify as a Chinese mm -hmm. church, mm -hmm. uh, not saying that this is a monolith, 
but um, it is a it's a Chinese church in heritage and tradition, not tradition, sorry, an identity mm-hmm. that that does the work of a church. I see. Right. Um, versus, I'll, and I'll take the which I think versus um, a Chinese church for only Chinese people. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't go okay. so far as doing that. I think okay. a Chinese church to me is Chinese in heritage, tradition, uh, identity. Um, that is first and foremost a church. Yeah, that makes sense. And Pastor Jason? I would just uh, define it as a church with a Chinese heritage. Okay. Um, that, that's where its founders, uh, its original members were of, were of Chinese descent. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the most basic way that I would, I would frame it. Um, sure. So, you know, that, that, that speaks to the church's past. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. honors the, the church's heritage, mm-hmm. but it leaves the church's future open. Yeah. And what does that kind of look like, Pastor Ted? I think it'll need to be a, a protected part of our journey. It's kind of our history. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that people can explore that side of themselves too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there's not all, like I say, there's not a lot of places to explore your, your ethnic uh, right. identity in a faith setting. Yeah. And I've always found it really difficult to refine the definition of a Chinese church or a Chinese heritage church in this case. The general sentiment I'm getting is that a Chinese church or Chinese heritage church is either founded, sustained, or both founded and sustained by someone of Chinese descent. Whether that means they're a direct immigrant from a Chinese country or they were born um, overseas by Chinese parents. But where it starts to get more confusing and convoluted is the congregation of the churches. For example, when you tell your friend that you go to a Chinese church, the immediate image they get in their head is the congregation, seeing like an all Chinese congregation. Even with multi-ethnic churches like Pastor Ted's Access Church, the same kind of applies, but obviously in the reverse. For example, when you say you go to a multi-ethnic church, but they see a mostly Asian congregation, they almost have to consciously and consistently remind themselves that it's a multi-ethnic church and not an Asian church. Over time, we're starting to see a lot more ethnic diversity within both the Chinese churches and also multi-ethnic churches like Access. That being said, there's this new question of what does this gradual increase in diversity mean for Chinese churches? So, like I said before, Chinese Baptist Church was the first Chinese church in Houston, and it started more of um, as a like a social space than a religious one, because back then, most of the Chinese immigrants in Houston were in the restaurant or grocery business, and their kids would help out with the businesses after school, but this meant that they were on different social schedules than their non-Chinese friends from school. So they created the church, perhaps through a common identity of being like Chinese and Christian, to allow these families to socialize and build connections. But even within the church back then, and especially today, there is still a lot of diversity within. Just because there was ethnic homogeneity, that didn't necessarily mean every other aspect was homogenous among the congregation. And Pastor Jason can speak a little more on this. So even though like in a Chinese church, you look at us on a Sunday morning, okay, you're all you know, large majority, all ethnically Chinese. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that, that's true. Um, but we have, we have this diversity among us yeah. in terms of generationally, which you might not find in a, you know, young 
church plant that's multi-ethnic, but they're all like 20 yeah. year olds, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and, and they're all, and they're all like, you know, um, you know, young professionals, you know, well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, highly educated. So they're, they're all, you know, they're ethnically diverse and that's already, that is still a challenge, you know, and that's, yeah. that's great. But that's why I, I know we don't have the ethnic diversity like you would find in other churches, but I appreciate this kind of question because it does mm-hmm. highlight the generational diversity, which along with it comes cultural and linguistic diversity sure. in a Chinese uh, church setting. But yeah, I would say that that's where we have to um, really make sure that uh, we uh, remain gospel centered. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just where recognizing that, you know, um, there is going to be um, something of the in the gospel that will critique the culture, whether it's of the older or the younger, you know, generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's just, you know, it, it, it is challenging because, you know, as, as a Chinese church, it's very easy to be centered on our shared culture, our shared ethnicity. Um, uh, and, but instead we gotta be, we be centered on, on our shared gospel identity, um, our identity as, as sinners redeemed um, uh, in Christ and by Christ alone. Yeah, definitely. So next I want to get into each of these differences a little more. So first let's talk a little bit more about the generational diversity. Most of the churches in our network have a large up-and-coming younger congregation. Most of the original members of the Chinese churches have either left or are at the age where they have limited engagement with the church and involvement with the church. What does it look like to have the younger, more Americanized congregation take charge of the church, or at least start to take charge? And maybe Pastor Tide could speak on this. Uh, Having a, a young congregation really helped in terms of being able to move quickly and make decisions quickly. People would consent to things quickly. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's get to work on this next week or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, if I were to compare it to my previous setting, West Houston, I would have to bring it up before the, you know, the leaders and we'd pray about it. And it, it would take, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Why it would take so long to get a new initiative rolling. It would take forever. Yeah. Um, and I think that n- the agility and that nimbleness really helped with outreach and with building um, kind of quickness and mobility. Another thing was the amount of volunteer energy. I think having folks in their early stages of, of work life, I mean, yeah, they were working hard, but they would also be available to do things. Um, I think in the middle years for Access, when a lot of them got married and started having young kids, that's a really difficult time to church plan because you know all yeah. their all their free time was <laughs> was <laughs> up. And so yeah. So when did you guys start to see these generational differences start to emerge, such that they had created notable changes in the interactions between the Chinese and English congregation? Pastor Justin. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, I started, I was on staff at 2008, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a member at this church since 86, 87, mm-hmm. something like that, okay. right? So um, obviously the closer you get to the table, the more you notice. Uh, I would say, I, even though I was part of kind of the system growing up as a teenager, college, young adults, um, I didn't notice it too much 
until probably when I went to college, but that's very anecdotal, right? That's my kind of perspective that, that saw this. And so that was like late nineties, early two thousands. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went to college in 2000, um, starting to see, okay, there's a lot more out there than is inside. So that was the first kind of curtain that was pulled back, uh, mm -hmm. that for me to realize like, uh, what's, what's going on here? Something's lacking yeah. or am I just being a young kind of whatever mm, I see, I see. Uh, on staff? It was almost immediately when I saw the massive generational differences and how it kind of played into it. Um, specifically around finances, uh, direction and, uh, programs. And part of my answer has to do with kind of our church structure and leadership. Right. Mm. And so I, 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 I think at that time we didn't have a senior pastor. Um, so the, the way of governance was very different than I would say a traditional church, mm. but the moment I stepped back in on staff, uh, a lot of it came from generational mindsets, especially mm. surrounding money. Uh, but then mm. also kind of like how the church at that time was trying to, they were trying to do the best they could with what they had. But yeah. at that time, I would even say it was misguided or even um, missing for some lack of a better word. And could you maybe provide an example of that? I'm coming in as a youth pastor. Sure. Right. But, um, you know, I'm a little bit older. I had already finished grad school. So um, I would say at that time, the average age of youth pastor in America was like 21, 22, mm. something like that. Uh, I was coming in like 25, 26, I think. And so when it came down to money, I was thinking, okay, how do you program for student ministry? Right. And so that again, very, very elementary way of thinking through ministry. And so it was a lot of interactions. It was a lot of uh, high level events. It was a lot of kind of relational stuff. And so a lot of our finances were kind of on the ground. Um, mm. It was surrounding food. And mm. that was when cell phone, I mean, you needed a cell phone to communicate. And so um, a lot of the money had to go to that. And so mm. I think I spent hours during the week trying to convince the people who had kind of control over the money to be like, Hey, this is what youth are nowadays. And that was in 2008 mm -hmm. versus what youth were back when you were yeah. in youth, which is like the eighties. And I'm like, Hey, sure. it's completely different nowadays. Um, and I think they just completely didn't realize, Hey, technology shifted in the last mm -hmm. decade or so. Um, yeah. so when I came in, when I was kind of like doing just kind of what I thought was best, what our students needed, uh, money was probably one of the biggest fights, um, mm. early on and, and that exposed the generational mindset. I'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. the next boomers, how they understood money. So I guess we're going to shift gears a tiny, tiny bit. Um, but basically I want to speak on the growing trend throughout our nation and maybe even around the world where younger generations are growing up to become more liberal leaning than their parents or the older generations are on average. And this applies to pretty much anyone, not just like Christians or non-Christians. But I think for Christians, they call this trend the liberalization of evangelical youths. For the Chinese churches, however, you have this 
extra ethnocultural layer that could be at crossroads with some of the stereotypical ideology points for respective political identities. And you also have this part of your church coming from like an immigration background. And so they carry with them a certain set of lived experiences that very much um, like shapes their political views and ideology. Pastor Ted, would you like to share anything about this? I think because our our demographic is more young uh, and most of them are more progressive, you know, I haven't done a, a hard poll, but I'd say the majority are, are pretty democratic leaning. Uh, a small minority are more conservative in mm-hmm. terms of their, their political affiliation. But in terms of voting, um, you know, it's going to be a mixed ballot for a lot of people because yeah. I think um, what they're trying to do, is, you know, there are things that are, part of each party that kind of resonate with how we see the kingdom of God mm-hmm. as Jesus lays it out. Uh, and neither party captures the entire picture and neither will. And Pastor David? But I think what is moving the other direction is, is seeing that, that there's an aspect of grace, there's an aspect of social justice, justice mm-hmm. there's, there's an aspect of, of loving the poor, that we need both. Right. So, so, so again, that's why we were encouraging our families. I said, you know, let's have conversation about this. Let's not jump the gun to shut the other side down about you know nothing. But we really need to learn to is listen and to understand. And I and I encourage our young people to ask um, their parents uh, or grandparents about their experiences of maybe discrimination, mm-hmm. of facing lawlessness. Or mm-hmm. seeing what happened, maybe in, uh, uh, you know, like my my mom remember when she was a child fleeing uh, as part of refugees mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. out of China, and and when you had lived through like that kind of world when right. there's lawlessness and thing, it, it's going to profoundly shape the way you think about what matters, what is important. So mm-hmm. I feel like. We, we need to do deeper listening mm-hmm. when we're just, just listening to the superficial rhetorics and getting mad about it. Yeah. Instead of really listening to, you know, you know, where you've been, our interests really have to be more than just what people believe, but also who they are. Very good points were made. Thank you, Pastor Ted and Pastor David for sharing. I think that's something very important, but hard for many to see, right? So what about culturally? I mean, an individual's culture does not just come from their ethnic background. It's sort of like a merging point for the different aspects of their life to their overall identity and then translates into behavior. I've noticed that just socially, the English and Chinese congregations barely interact with each other despite being in the same space at the same time. So what do these cultural differences look like in our churches? Pastor Jason? I I would say not so much theological for the most part, um, our our Chinese uh, and English leaders are are are, are on the same page. Uh, all, all all the major things, all the things that 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 are important to keep us um, in 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 close fellowship with each other, right? Uh-huh. To, to be able to serve um, together, it would probably just be um, cultural differences in 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 terms of. Um, so even though theology, we might be on the same page. The immigrant mm-hmm. leadership is going to be, it tends to be more pragmatic in their approach mm-hmm. to leadership and to decision-making. Um, even though like we share the same theology, 
they may not be approaching a problem through a theological grid, but more through mm-hmm. a pragmatic grid in terms okay. of um, what's going to help us accomplish our goal more so than what's the theological kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, guidance that 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 that, that would direct us one way or, or the other. So. Um, I mean, I can give some examples if you want, but but the main thing is, I think that's probably one of the differences in terms of of um, Chinese ministry being more pragmatic. And so the English leader could interpret that as being like, um, oh, you, you, you're not, you know, those leaders over there are not very theological. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're too compromising, you know, mm-hmm. you know. And so that that could be, you know, the uh, typical criticism from an English perspective. But at the same time, English leaders need to recognize that, you know, sometimes the reason that they're doing that is because they have, you know, uh, sometimes they have to be more nuanced in the way they lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can be more direct uh, in handling problems, they have to be more indirect. We would emphasize, you know, speaking truth. Like, hey, you mm-hmm. know, we need to we need to tell it as it is. Like, we, we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't fudge things. We should just mm-hmm. say, you know, what the true thing is. Where, from the Chinese perspective, uh, they're going to be more concerned with maintaining some kind of relational harmony, and so that mm-hmm. they're going to be, you know, out of a shame based culture, they're going to want to save someone's face. And so, instead of telling them directly, hey, this is this is your problem. They're, yeah. they're, they're going to be a far more subtle about it, more ambiguous yeah, about yeah. it. And an English side person is like, yeah, "Dude, you're 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 not being direct with them. Just tell them mm-hmm. tell them the way it is. Mm-hmm. Like you're 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 lying. Even mm-hmm. we we would see that sometimes as lying. With where from a Chinese perspective, we're not we're not lying. We're just trying to 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 accomplish the same goal." But without embarrassing that person and, and having yeah, them lose yeah. face, things like that, right? I mean, that that's mm-hmm. just where an English side person may not interpret that um, action in the same way. We, we would see it as like you're you're not being cur- courageous enough just to tell them the truth or speak the truth, you know, things like mm-hmm. that, right? So yeah, that, yeah, those are the type of things I often see, and a lot of that has to do with just cultural differences in communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Pastor David. Yeah, there, there's, uh, there's always a, a there's, there's a, a fellowship called ATCMF, which is like Houston mm-hmm. Ministerial, uh, 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 Houston Chinese Christian Ministerial Fellowship. Okay. 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 And so the pa- it's kind of local Chinese pastors fellowship, mm-hmm. and so th- there's that level of connection there. But I would say they're more cordial, uh, and I think mm-hmm. I think that fellowship has grown over the years. I think now is 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 I feel has matured more. But those early days, I always felt it was more cordial. It was almost like a professional's uh, gathering of pastors mm-hmm. and just, you know, they catch up with each other about what they're doing and things like that. But on the English side of ministry, though, I felt that we actually had a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So when I first came, I right away visited uh, the uh, English pastor at CBC. I visited uh, Pastor Fred. And mm-hmm. but during those days, Pastor Paul Epp, who was also at Houston Chinese Church, the youth pastor, okay. and we just became great friends. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, you know, uh, Fred and Paul had just been not just personal friends and friends with uh, our wives became friends, <laughs> but but become uh, but like personal like mentors to me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so we get together for accountability, to pray, to catch up. It was just much more than. Uh, another uh, pastor friend from another church. Mm-hmm. Just never really felt like we we're competing. 
it felt like we are we're all working toward the same goal and we're learning right. we're sharing about what we're learning and i and i really would say i felt when people ask me about the years i have spent here and that there's a degree of longevity here and mm-hmm. i felt like that level of fellowship that that level of friendship that we shared really is another factor that helps sustain that that there was just something very special that we shared so why do you think that is like why do you think the chinese speaking pastors at chinese churches are more loosely related and loosely close to each other whereas the english speaking pastors at chinese churches are more tight knit do you think there's a cultural factor in it it might be it's really a tough call it's really a tough yeah. call uh, I, I you know um you go to places because i've heard people telling me like places like california or chicago or new york where uh, Chinese churches have run a much longer history, but mm-hmm. they don't have similar phenomena. Right. That, right. So, so I felt like it really is a, I really see it in a way as a special grace of God. Yeah. Where a, a special group of people uh, coming together and we just really admire and respect each other and just become fast friends. Yeah. Uh, and so nowadays, you know, it would be like Pastor Gaylord in Austin or, mm-hmm. or now, so also the younger group now, like Pastor David Tan and DCBC, or even seeing like younger guys like Jason and, and uh, <laughs> Jason Tong. Just like, um, yeah, it's just, it, it just has been a really a life-giving fellowship. But I, w- but I would say, though, um, I think the Chinese-speaking fellowship is also growing. Mm-hmm. But, 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 uh, but also because a lot of times there's more turnovers. I think the turnovers uh, uh, affect okay. the fellowship. Uh, right, in, right, in, right. The, in the heart of PAC, some of the key people involved, these are people all have stayed a long time. So that that longevity, uh, I think, also make those f- friendships more special. Yeah, yeah, I see. So what about in terms of decision-making among the leaders of the churches? Have there been any clashes that are maybe culturally rooted or maybe just like in the style of decision-making that you've noticed between uh, that are different between the English and congregation leaders? Pastor Justin? Yeah, I mean, like, so when I come, I came on again, I'm coming on as someone who grew up in the church, mm-hmm. right? And so they're seeing me again as just a young guy. So I think... It, in their mind, young is anyone under younger than them. It didn't yeah. matter if you were two years younger. It, it was just young. I see. And so even though I was trained, uh, I had experience, you know, the way they saw this type of thing. And again, I don't know if it's the youth title or just who I am. They just relegated that to like, hey, you don't really know what you need to, you're doing. We know what's best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very kind of that old school kind of parenting mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was weird because we're talking about, okay, well, at the end of the day, does my, uh, do I have any type of authority? And so that was the push and pull. It was just, Hey, we know how to do things better than you. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just, you just, you just kind of keep out of the way and mm-hmm. you do what needs to be done and you don't ask any questions. Um, and so I'm like, if that's not very Chinesey. Uh, back mm-hmm. then, I don't know what is. And what do you think, Pastor Jason? The typical clash would be over, uh, uh, you know, a desire typically among English ministries and English leaders for greater autonomy. As mm-hmm. the church, the Chinese church matures and the uh, Lord willing, the English congregation 
the English ministry matures as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always a tension, right? You know, it always starts off with a mother-daughter type of relationship. And so the English ministry, English congregation, they're the children. Um, and mm-hmm. so the leadership is all led by the mother and, and, yeah. and, and it's the children that need to just kind of follow along. But mm-hmm. as the congregation grows uh, in, in age and size, you know, there, there, there's, you know, then that's where um, there's a desire for more of a sister, sister type of a, type of a, a relationship mm-hmm. and, and being more empowering um, the English ministry and the leaders and more, right. If providing more representation on, on whatever kind of leadership board there is, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that's always going to be a challenge that you can find in Chinese churches. Um, and like I was saying, you know, that's another just cultural differences, whether, you know, the more direct versus indirect kind of communication. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Justin. Looking now, it's, there's a lot because, you know, you don't ask hard questions. You don't rock mm-hmm. the boat, mm-hmm. right? You don't yeah. res- you yeah. don't disrespect the older generation, whatever that may be. Um, no matter what title or position or authority, um, that's just that's just kind of how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it made it very difficult because the problems were starting to emerge, or people were noticing them, mm-hmm. and then, but the people in I would say power, not in, a, not in a condescending way, but the people who were making decisions, who had the, the thing, they put themselves in there um, for lack of leadership or for whatever reason, but, uh, and they're the ones giving the most money. And so in a sense, they earned it, but, yeah. and, and then the, the flip side was the younger people weren't stepping up, right? Mm. They were kind of doing their own thing. And so it was this catch 22 where, hey, Things needed to change, but both parties weren't talking at each other, talking with each other, talking past each other. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and then who suffers? It's the church that suffers when yeah. there's lack of that communication. Yeah, that's that's true. So, Ted, your church is officially a multi-ethnic church, not a Chinese church. What draws individuals from non-Chinese backgrounds and, you know, a multi multitude of different ethnic identities to come to your church, even after seeing that Access has a majority Chinese American congregation? Yeah, I, I think with our base, um, we, we started off with it was like 100 percent Chinese American. Well, 99 percent. There's like yeah. a, a few people who are not Chinese. Um, <laughs> That definitely shaped those early years. And then trying to uh, to bring about that multi-ethnic conversation was, was actually pretty difficult, uh, surprisingly. Um, there was some pushback among some of the Chinese Americans who felt like, you know, um, they can't really be Chinese Americans in their workplaces. Um, like they, they feel like they have to hide some of their ethnic identity just to make it in a predominantly white um, kind of a work setting. Yeah. And so then when we come to, when it comes to a faith environment, they're saying, are you asking us to downplay our Chinese Americanness, <laughs> or, or how does that work? And so those are really important conversations to have. Yeah. We value the Asian American journey. We try to, provide space for people to explore their ethnic identity as well as their faith journey because those are very intertwined for them mm-hmm. at the same time we want to give space for um for more journeys and mm-hmm. for more uh, ethnic exploration yeah yeah and i think that speaks to the essence of why we still have these chinese churches and why people still go to them 
And speaking of the existence of a Chinese church, what do you all think the future will look like for us? I mean, they say that the youth is the future in all sorts of ways, but is that true for our Chinese churches? And as a youth pastor, Justin, what do you think? I don't think so. Actually, <laughs> it depends. It really depends. I think okay. we're at a we're at a critical point right now. I think mm. some of my uh, my some of my buddies, not buddies, but people I, I follow in Australia, they call <laughs> this the gray zone, right? Mm. This is a this is a period of time where, especially in the ethnic specific churches, if they don't make this transition and make it mm. fast, and again, I don't want to be an alarmist, but if they don't make this fast, they're not the young people will not take over. I don't think they're going to take over the church. Mm -hmm. I think two things either have to happen. The older generation has to acknowledge that this is where it's going and it will take a very dynamic older leader to kind of give the reins over to these younger people, but not completely just do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. They need to kind of coach them into this because I still think they need a lot of coaching, but they have to give them authority on paper, but also authority in practice which mm-hmm. means, hey, we're going to walk with you and allow you to fail and succeed, but we're going to trust you in your calling as a leader to actually drive this thing. But if the Asian churches don't give that up, I don't think there's this natural progression where the younger people are going to assume the roles. Mm-hmm. I think, and yeah, I think this is a millennial Gen Z thing where in years past, there was almost no options on where you went. Now yeah. it's almost, you have to sell the church in order for the, the, the millennials yeah. and the Gen Z's to go there because now it's wide open uh, if they even want to go to church. Yeah. And so the large mm-hmm. contingency, the boomer class, uh, they made up all the volunteers uh, and rightly so, and they made the decisions, but now you're just going mm-hmm. there. The millennials aren't that type of group that had zero options. They have options yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't think there's a natural progression that's going to mm. take place, uh, especially if they're not going to work together. And Jason, what are your thoughts? Beyond just a community where they're able to find um, like-minded um, friends and and, and 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 those that can be able to uh, you know share a similar ethnic and cultural background. So yeah, I think it definitely does um, depend on our ability to disciple them in a way where it's more holistic as opposed to just um you know this being a a like a cultural center <laughs> for them so yeah. yeah definitely i would i i i would pray and hope so um but i think the onus is on the leaders today uh and the youth workers and disciples today uh in the kind of work we're, we're doing with them Yeah. And what about the Chinese church as a whole? Will it still exist in, say, maybe 50 years? Perhaps by 50 years from now, the um, cultural distinctiveness of of, Chinese churches will have disappeared as the Mm -hmm. the first generation kind of passes on. Uh, Like I said, that's kind of what happened to a lot of the European-based ethnic immigrant churches over the past 50 years, right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. when I was in college, I was attending... A, um, a an evangelical church that uh, you know just had had a generic name until I learned more about the history of it. It actually used to be it was a Swedish immigrant church. Mm. Um, it was it was founded by Swedish immigrants. I don't know how many decades earlier, but by that point, 
they lost that distinctiveness because they were, as you know, Europeans able to more uh, quickly assimilate into um, the largest, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, society around us. So, um, but, you know, it all depends. So if you're in a setting where there is still a steady immigration of people with Chinese descent, if that persists, and, you know, to be honest, if ethnic disharmony uh, persists within that community and it's not as easy to integrate, um, you know, for people of, of Chinese descent, then, yeah, then likely maybe 50 years from now, you will see uh, still Chinese churches. But again, so I think it's, it is hard to say, um, um, you know, because it, it really depends on immigration patterns 50 years from now and the particular kind of setting you're in, how integrated um, people of Chinese descent can be in the larger society. And Justin, do you think that the Chinese church will still exist in 50 years? I think it'll still exist. In what form? I'm not sure. And the only reason why I say Mm -hmm. it'll still exist is because I think there will always be Chinese people. Okay. I, I think no matter what, I don't think it'll ever kind of assimilate into larger culture, uh, nor do I think it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as long as there's people of different ethnicities anywhere, I think mm-hmm. you're going to have local representations of that, right? Just regardless. So I think there, there is going to be that. Um, mm. Again, now with immigration and all that type of stuff filtering into the States, I think that could shift it a little bit, but I still think there will always that be that. Sense. What it's going to look like in 50 years it really depends on, I think, this window that we have. Mm. Um, again, and then which, which layer are we talking about? You know, uh, because, yeah. there, again, let's be honest, there are some, there's some predominantly ethnic Chinese churches, but it's not in the name. Like, when you show up at the doors, you're like, okay, this is a Chinese church, but <laughs> you would never know from the website, mm. from whatever. Um, do you count that as a Chinese church? I would say, yeah, I would say yes. Right. So I see. Um, like four pin, right. I'm like, you guys are 99% <laughs> Chinese, but you're, your community church, which, okay. Mm. Um, so are, are those going to ex- always exist? Uh, what is it going to look like? I think, I think one of the biggest things or the two factors, it's going to be the placement of theology and the placement of, um, how do I say this? kind of being like social engagement, right? Mm-hmm. I really think those are going to be the big ones. Um, and so, I mean, again, because if you just follow church history, uh, that determines the trajectory of the church in general, right? Regardless if you're Chinese or not, mm-hmm. uh, your theology is going to go either. I mean, it's, it, this is kind of, the hate, the, hate the, the terms, but I mean, a progressive slash liberal type of theology, mm-hmm. or is this going to be more of a, yeah. a conserving right type of theology mm-hmm. that's going to play in. I think, I think that's going to, sh- I don't think you need a 50. I think, I think it's 20, right? I think that mm-hmm. how you answer that question, um, that's going to be determined within the next 10, 20 years, uh, to see if that's even a church to begin with. Um, sure. now if you're asking about the Chinese part, I, I still think it's always going to be there, but now how effective is it mm, as a church? I think that's more important. Yeah. Yeah. And I also agree. Like it's really hard to tell whether um, a church, a Chinese church will exist in 50 years for sure. 
but we seem to have geographical advantage as we are located in Houston, which is not only the most diverse city in the U.S., but it's also one of the larger ones. And there's a lot of industrial diversity and a lot of different um, like parts of Houston that draw in immigrants from China and Chinese Americans from other states in the U.S. to come here as well. Pastor David, do you have any thoughts? A, a conviction I've kind of always kind of had, and this kind of dawned on me some year, a number of years ago. Uh, you know, I, I'm actually quite interested in uh, history and Chinese history uh, mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, Chinese boast a very long history. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I was just thinking, I said, you know, uh, if Chinese boasts uh, five thousand years of history, mm-hmm. uh, and there were many uh, golden eras. You know, right. the Han Dynasty, yeah. the Tang Dynasty. But I was saying that, I said, you know, I felt like for the Chinese Americans here. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I just thought, I thought, uh, is it reasonable to propose or postulate that this generation of Chinese Americans here was the material blessing and the opportunity and the freedom uh, and the prosperity, the availability to us. Mm-hmm. Could it be that this generation of Chinese Americans actually might be some of the most blessed or most abundantly provided for of mm-hmm. all the generations in 5,000 years? Even mm-hmm. in the golden era of the Chinese history, they would not have the kind of diversity, the kind of opportunity, right. or the kind of... So I would just, I would argue that, uh, I, I'm not sure I can prove the case, but I would like to think that it is a, not an unreasonable speculation to say that, you know, we will be among over 5,000 years, of, you know, countless trillions of humanity in China right. that has birthed, that we will be some of the most blessed with opportunity. And if that's so, what does God want to do with us? And if to whom much is given, much is required, that, that would make a great sense for us trying to do great things with this generation mm-hmm. because yeah. we're so blessed with resources, learning, opportunity right. uh, to, to do great things for God. Yeah. And Pastor David, that's a really interesting angle to kind of see all of this. And it does make a lot of sense if you think about, you know, just even in the past few years, so many problems, so many issues are coming up that were kind of concealed earlier, like even just a couple decades ago. And so this next generation, the youth are really the the ones pushing forward these dialogues and really thinking about what their purpose is on this earth. And so, you know, the question of why now, why are all of these things happening now? It makes a lot of sense in the context of what you said. Maybe to close us out, do you have any words for the future? Even though I think it will be hard, mm-hmm. I think things will be hard for the church. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will get easier regardless of the yeah. outcome of elections or politics because I just think it's, it's harder now. Mm-hmm. But I'm hopeful because the people I know, uh, when I see some of the younger pastors in our church, uh, in our church, when I see people like Jason at your church, when I mm-hmm. see some of these guys, I love them so much and respect them so much when I see some of the young leaders or even like yourself, Helen, I, I feel extremely hopeful because I feel like um, our next generation leaders, how God is going to use to lead us through 
a lot of these nebulous times, mm-hmm. uh, even though we may not have the answer today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think the, yeah. the easy answer, the quick three-point answer that solves everything in your life and the problem of the world, I think that has kind of that's dissipating with the previous uh, era. Mm-hmm. It's, this is more a more complex and requires a more holistic kind of thinking and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel hopeful for our churches moving forward because I think I see the people and I believe in the people. Mm-hmm. But I think it will be challenging. And it would not surprise me also that, um, that the, uh, um, you know, it's a very hard, a hard season for churches in general, even coming on a pandemic, mm-hmm. um, may, may be in store for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, even yeah. as we struggle to, to figure out in person and online and, 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 and all these uh, complexity, and even as we struggle with how busy we are, you know, mm-hmm. we're all just like overly busy. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I think, uh, I think God is at work in our churches, mm-hmm. and, and therefore I, I, I believe that good things to come. What a great way to end today's conversation. Thank you so much, Pastor David and Pastor Justin, Pastor Jason, Pastor Ted, for sharing your thoughts with us today. And of course, thank you so much to everyone who's listened up to this point. I hope it sparked some sort of interest in learning more about the intersections between religion, ethnicity, and cultural identity. I've also conducted full-length interviews for each of these pastors. Um, The interviews go into depth about their childhood, their upbringing, and also their journey to becoming a pastor. It's a great way to kind of learn more about their perspectives and provide more context into the responses that they gave in today's conversation. You can find all these interviews on our website at haaa.rice.edu. And lastly, if you're ever interested in visiting any or all of these churches and maybe even meeting these pastors, please feel free to search these churches up and just show up on Sunday morning. I'm sure they're more than happy to welcome you in. If you have any comments or questions about today's conversation, please feel free to reach out to us at contacthaaa at rice.edu. Drop a message and we'll be sure to get back to you. We hope you were able to learn something new today and thank you so much again for joining me on today's conversation.